Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. We shouldn't do this. We should never do this, but we do this. And by this, I mean what we call Ask or Tell Me Anything. This is a show where the guests aren't here, the topics aren't here. It's all out there where you are. You're going to be the guest. You're going to decide the topics of the show. And since I don't really know about anything except Ukraine right now, that could be very challenging. But yes, the number is going to be and is 888 720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. After the news, you can call up and you can ask or tell me anything. Whether I will be responsive is a partly neurological question. But anyway, hang in there. Uh, We'll get going right after this news. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. All right, sorry about the Bon Iver voice there. Uh, I mean, that is the Bon Iver guy. We probably are required to warn people if we're going to play. It's not even a Bon Iver record, but um, it's by Big Red Machine, just the same thing. But anyway, if you were triggered by that, or I'm sure there's someone at the station you can call. Don't call me or email me. Don't call 
or email Katie Dolarsky or Jonathan McPants. Pick somebody much more important and email them. Uh, all right, so today is going to be one of these Ask or Tell Me Anything shows. They are ill-advised. I don't think... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody else in public radio does them. <laughs> Maybe somebody does. Um, and the number is 888-720-WNPR. You are allowed to call in about anything. Uh, 888-720-9677. And somebody already has called in about anything. I'm going to talk to Walter in just a second. I, I want to see if there's any other things I need to go over with you in terms of ground rules. Uh, one of the, One thing you need to know is I have with me I'm holding it up to the microphone so you can see it. Um, oh, a Mr. Carp envelope. Mr. Carp is somebody I went to college with. He was like the smartest person at Yale University for about a decade, um, which is pretty impressive because there's a lot of smart people at Yale. I mean, there's from some of the old legacy families, you know, six or seven generations of people going to Yale. Some of those people at this point were just basically kind of monkeys, you know, as a result of the inbreeding and stuff. But there are a lot of smart people at Yale, and um, and but he was, like, smarter than them. So he puts clips in an envelope. He seals it. He sends it to me. I have it here. Uh, I can only open it if somebody asks me to. That's the rule. And I just want to say that there's a little bit of a problem, which is that nobody has asked me to do this in a while. And as a result, I have sealed envelopes from Mr. Carp backing up. I mean, like if he put a $100 bill in among all these clips, like I'm not getting that money. <laughs> I mean, I have no reason to suspect he would do that, but but who knows? All right. That's all you really need to know. Um, let's, uh, we're going to go to the phones right now. I mean, I'm assuming a lot of people want to talk about Ukraine. That's what I'm prepared to talk about. But you can't assume that because people are allowed to talk about anything, as Walter from yeah. Marlboro, Connecticut, is about to illustrate. Hello. Oh, thank you very much for taking my call. Okay. Yes, I, I have a pet peeve with the English language and how professional writers are destroying it. It's 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 no longer she and I went somewhere. It's me and her went. And it's not uh, uh, he had written or he wrote. It's he had wrote. You know, things like that. Uh, when I had English in high school, we, we learned that... Uh, you say she and I went because you talk about the other person with respect, so you put them in the sentence first, and then you put yourself secondarily. I was not aware of that particular convention. But I, yeah. it would sound infelicitous to say I and she went, so perhaps you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, well, I will say this. First of all, um, I'm a, a bit of a declinist like you. Yeah. Um, I do think one of the problems is that the it's not that English has declined, which it has, yeah. but it's also that the concept of rules has declined, rules in general. And I yeah. will give you an example from my recent life, where, okay. which was um, – I can't even remember the, the actual subject of the tweet, but there was a tweet from somebody who I guess was a woman. I hadn't really thought too much about that before I did what I did. And it said something like, just tell me – it was like maybe which TV shows – yeah, it was something like TV shows. Which TV shows are you – uh, that people don't tend to watch, uh, but, but you're really evangelical about. Yeah. Uh, and so I actually contributed an idea to that thread. I suggested rectify. People haven't yeah. watched that. But I also said in a separate reply tweet, I said, this is a tiny point. I tried to set it up that way. I said, this is a tiny point. But evangelical and evangelistic don't really mean the same thing. Um, okay. And then I like, got attacked. And I was accused, among other things, of mansplaining. 
which I didn't really see like that it was a gender. Maybe it, I was a man. I was splaining. There's no question. I was a man and I was splaining. So it was mansplaining technically. But I just feel like there's a sense that if you tell somebody that, you know, that something like that, that the particular word has a definition and it's not the way you're using the I, just people don't even like that anymore. They don't. They don't even. They want. Don't want to hear. It. They just think you're being aggressive. You're being. They're. You're some microaggression to tell anybody anything. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, I, I have a second peeve. Yeah. Well, when you have a professional speaker being interviewed on the radio, they pepper their speeches with you know and ah uh, and um. You know, and it gets irritating after a while. Well, those are just fluencies, and, you know, people just have them. And I just did one, and I think we all do, and we're not aware of them. And I don't know. They don't bother me that much. But but I understand. For example, for a while, on the 538 Politics podcast, which is Nate Silver's podcast, but there was a period of time where, well, I mean, he doesn't host it, but the entire panel, when including Nate, Nate, Nate Silver, went through a period where they really couldn't get more than – four or five words out without saying comma, like, comma. You know, and I understand that we put comma, like, comma into our speech sometimes. I do it. Um, and, 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 but you can try to limit it somehow. You try, to, you try not to have it be this real kind of verbal tick, and, and it didn't become that. So I, anyway, I think Walter's gotten us off to a rip-roaring start here, <laughs> and I'm ready just to keep going right down the line here. Here's Mark on Long Island, and then we're going to go to Virginia in Greenwich. I'll go in the room. Hey, what's going hey. on? What's happening in the room? Is there a dog yeah, in the room? Know, Is there a bat a in the room? A lot of things. Okay. A lot of things going on in the world. But one of the things came from you. A couple of weeks ago, you turned me on to Radio Garden. Yeah. Yes, a, time, a tremendous time thing. But I started using it then to go and check out the Ukraine situation. Use it on both sides of the border. You hear the Russian radio stations. Some of them are playing the same feeds, and you hear very propaganda-sounding. For weeks now, the Ukrainian side have been playing music. You know, there's a lot of music stations there and stuff. This past week, they've been, you've been hearing a lot more conversations in earnest. Some stations come up as red, like it tries to connect, and they'll know all of a sudden it turns red. Some of the uh, eastern towns. That's the main thing I wanted to say. It's, yeah, they're pretty dramatic. Just for people who don't know what we're talking about, Radio Garden is this uh, online feature uh, in which you are, once you, you enter it, uh, you are presented with a kind of Mercator map globe thing, uh, and you can go, and, and it's all full of green dots. And every single green dot represents radio station. Radio stations in Brazil, in Ukraine, uh, in, uh, in, in the U.S., in Switzerland, whatever, in Africa, uh, and you can click on any of them and you will hear what's on the radio station at that particular moment. It is an amazing thing. Uh, it will consume huge amounts of your time uh, if you begin to play around with it. But it is really cool. And I hadn't really thought about using it that way. That's uh, Actually, I'm glad you said that, Mark, because Thanks. one of the things that I wanted to say today was that I would be interested in knowing how people are getting their news about Ukraine, how people are assembling their picture of their understanding of Ukraine. Because Ukraine is, uh, this whole situation is, by some arguments, like an eight-year information war, you know, in which uh, Russia's ability to kind of suborn Facebook and use it for their own purposes uh, has been a key component, as well as lots of other ways. This is also a time where, and certainly this is the first military conflict 
in which this has played a significant role. TikTok is being used to convey a tremendous amount of information on the ground and has been not just during since the actual invasion, but in, in the run-up. You could get a lot of information, not necessarily well-curated information, but from TikTok. But I'm interested in knowing from people, like, what do you depend on? Are you using newsletters, podcasts, just regular mainstream media? Uh, if so, what? How are you sort of filtering and factoring for various prejudices? Who do you think has a good handle on it? I'd love to hear all of that from you. You don't have to call in, but that's something that's on my mind. 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. We'll go to Virginia in Greenwich next. Hi, Virginia. Hi, Colin. I've listened to you all the time, and I'm... I'm upset that you're no longer doing your opinion piece in the Greenwich local newspaper. I'm upset, too. No, I, I, I took a leave of absence. Uh, the plan is for me to come back in May. Uh, I was just kind of overwhelmed with family responsibilities. As some oh, okay. people know, there was there have been some pretty significant uh, illnesses in my family. I had people I needed to take care of. Oh. So, yeah, I will, be, I will resume my newsletter uh, and my column, if all goes well, probably around mid-May. And and the other thing is, like, I don't know. I was thinking about this on my very short drive over here. You know, I've kind of lost my appetite appetite for state politics. I, you know, I used to be, like, a pretty well-respected – I was never a good political reporter. I mean, that would be like Mark Pazniokas would be a good political reporter. I was, I was never that. But I was a pretty good Connecticut state political analyst. And I don't know. I just <laughs> – Well, it's changing so much, and we we need to hear your voice. No matter what, we just need to hear your voice. Well, thank you. I'm very flattered by that. And yes, I will be back doing that. I'll be back with the newsletter, back with the column, all that stuff. All right. Meanwhile, thanks for that call, Greenwich. I'm going to go to Jeffrey in Bethany next. The number to call is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-WNPR or 888-720-9677. Let me remind you, I do have like a Mr. Carp envelope in my hand. You have to command me to open it. And then the other part of it, I didn't mention this, but then you might have to have a brief conversation with me about something that I might that I would find in the envelope. This envelope looks like has a lot of clips in it. Like there would be a lot of choices if we were to open it. But um, so um, let's go to Jeffrey, and then we'll see what else happens. But it's ask or tell me anything day here. Jeffrey in Bethany. Hi. Hi, Colin. How are you? Appreciate you taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask your opinion about something and it's something that I feel rather strongly about, and it does have to do with the uh, Ukraine conflict, uh, that everybody's fixated on at the moment. And wow. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the worldwide, um, uh, outpouring of support for Ukraine, I find it amazing and it really, really points to just how, just how evil and uh, and and how uh, ill-conceived uh, Putin's uh, actions are. But my my question is, and my comment is, uh, you know, do you, do you think that at any point, Colin, they're they're going to consider an assassination on Putin um, only because it, it really, you know, and I know it's barbaric and it and it's not really in keeping with our peace. Uh, uh, initiative and, and and whatnot, but an assassination would it would just it would end this conflict so much sooner. And I know that no one has the right to take a life. I really understand that, but it's what he's doing right now. And 
I'll leave you with that question, uh, Colin. All right. So, think, yeah. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I, I would just say that uh, assassinating a, another world leader, uh, a world leader who, however, falsely, <laughs> falsely uh, or, or uh, you know, however much his election is kind of an illusion, uh, he is an elected leader at that. But so assassinating foreign leaders is kind of against the law uh, here, and it's also against international law. And um, I think there's also no particular guarantee that it would de-escalate things. I mean, if, if you're going to do, if you're going to assassinate somebody in order to de-escalate a conflict he has started, first of all, you should look around. Look around at the bench. <laughs> Who's coming off the bench after you kill Putin? Uh, he's whoever he is. He's probably going to not be as malevolent as Putin. He's probably not going to be the kind of calculating fiend that uh, Putin has turned out to be. Although I think it's reasonable to a- ask how smart is Putin really at the moment? Because unless he has some really complicated long game, uh, it's hard for me to see how this works out for him. But but anyway, I mean, so as a practical matter, yeah, you tend to, first of all, mobilize even more national paranoia if it seems like the assassination came from uh, from outside the country. Um, whoever gets into power next can really demagogue this thing, particularly if it ever tracks back to, say, the USA and the intelligence apparatus here. So as tempting and appealing as that might seem, yeah, well, it would be illegal illegal first. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I'm not really sure it would achieve the desired goal, so... We have to figure out some other way. You know, the problem is that when you see stuff like this and you see the raw footage, you see, you know, these these brave Ukrainians defending their soil, their lives. You know, when you see the just unnecessary terror and misery inflicted on a population by somebody like Putin. Yeah, our our minds kind of go there. Our reptilian instincts think, well, yeah, we should just kill that guy. Um, But... (laughs) We have to do a little bit better than that because, first of all, you absolutely have entered his world when you start doing stuff like that. That's what he does. He sticks a poison umbrella in your, you know, in your, your yogurt in your tapioca drink. You know, I mean, that's what he does with people he doesn't like. <laughs> um, and and I don't think we want to be him. Uh, and anyway, it might not work. Um, and that may be the biggest problem with it: killing Putin and having it not work. Uh, all right, here's uh, Richard. Oh, Richard hung up in Mystic. Oh, my Lord, what has happened? All right, so our number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. I actually do feel as though kind of, although I'm intensely respectful of the work that's being done by public radio reporters and New York Times reporters, um, this woman whose uh, last name I'm now misplaced in my head, but her first name is Sabrina, uh, and she works for the New York Times. And if you listen to The Daily today, The Daily is just her walking around in Ukraine, just you know, with a translator and probably a producer or something, just talking to people you know, in these really kind of scary situations. And once again, I mean, journalists go, they put, they run towards the stuff that most people run away from. Uh, and, and I'm highly respectful of that. Um, I also, though, I found that just sort of in terms of assembling my own mental picture, trying to understand what's happening in Ukraine, what do I need to know? There isn't just one source. And it really is a melange of sources, you know. And I do find increasingly, for example, that newsletters 
are important to me. And it's important to me to read probably some newsletters of varying points of view, um, some some conservative newsletters in, in addition to people who think the way I do. So um, I'm just interested to know what everybody else is doing. All right, here is Richard from Mystic yet again. Hi, Richard. Hi, uh, Colin. Um, your talk about the rule of law is very important. Um, I'm a lawyer, and we certainly have been struggling with this over the past, well, at least four years uh, and, and plus. Uh, and uh, so we don't want to then, as you say, uh, slip, go to the slippery slope. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to read you a letter that I just got from an acquaintance who's in Kiev in the middle of it. Uh, it was written uh, at 4 p.m. their time. Um, and I think it, it really does bring it down close and personal. Uh, and then I want to get back to the rule of law for a second at the end. Uh, this is, again, just received it. It was a hot morning, a hot, hellish afternoon and evening. You know, I never really thought about what my grandmother said about what it was like to live during war. And now I understand it. These days, my route is house, siren, bomb shelter. Today, I went to the apartment for the first time today because Kiev is mercilessly bombarded by Russia from all sides. I was at home with my daughter at that moment, and there was an explosion. Then another one, and another one. I thought I was uh, somewhere near the house where I live. Because the blow was really so strong that I later found out some of our neighbors were killed during the, fla- during the fragments from their window panes. And, I, uh, and at the moment of the explosion, I prayed. I will never forget these minutes. I am now writing to you, to you. My hands are shaking. I was scared to go outside. It was very noisy. People who were there in their homes died. Families have died. My daughter, despite her age of 25, is crying and asking, are we being bombed? Already now on the streets this evening, as well as during the day, sirens turned on several times. Entrance to the subway is free. It's a bomb shelter. There's lots of bombed out in the city. I went to the end. Uh, I want this to end. I want it to come to a logical victory. We now need to fight. It is hard to believe in negotiations. I don't understand what guarantees Russia can give to anyone, even its own citizens. Many have the feeling that the more Ukrainian forces inflict damage on the Russian military, the closer to the end of this. Uh, and we are only uh, and this is the only way we are holding on. And if we have nothing to eat, we will still stand. God is with us. So that's the situation of past few hours. And it, it, it's, it gives me uh, chills uh, and makes me cry to see that this can happen. Um, uh, but I wanted to share that because it is, this is direct. This is not something that you see in a movie. Uh, this is pure evil by, uh, by the leader of Russia. Now, I mentioned the rule of law. And you were saying, what can we do? I'm actually in the process of preparing a complaint to the International Criminal Court. I've been researching it sufficiently to know that Ukraine has accepted jurisdiction because of the last time. Not every country has jurisdiction. Russia hasn't, of course, but the actions on Ukrainian soil will allow the court to do it now to investigate, and I'm asking them to declare him a war criminal. I'm sure I'm not the only one doing it, but with time... This may help 
to move our, our world forward to where such things as this become unthinkable. That would be a great thing. Richard, thank you so much for your phone call. Uh, I think that I should probably take a break right now. 888-720-WNPR is the number you should call if you want to talk. And we'll be back. What do you want from me? Why don't you run from me? What are you wondering? Why do you know? Why aren't you scared of me? Why do you care for me? When we all fall asleep, where do we go? Come here. Say it, spit it out. What is it exactly? The pain is the amount clean you out. in the city street lights are on and the dawn feels like ages away i'm here every day if i could see the daybreak over the ocean as the sun burns the fog and i'm starting anew out in That's, uh, I think her name is Amelia Jones. It's the, the song they sing over the credits in Coda, if you have seen that movie. Well, they sing it whether you've seen it or not, actually, technically. But have you seen that, Kitty Tularski? Have you seen Coda? It's like not the, it's not the greatest movie in the world. It probably won't win Best Picture, although it is one of the 10 Best, best Picture nominees in the Oscars this year. But it's very affecting. And if you love music, it's very, very powerful. If you have any connection to the deaf community, it's also very powerful. And it's probably just very powerful. I mean, very emotionally, very powerful. We, you know, you may, you may remember for a couple of years, we attempted to pioneer something called Radio for the Deaf, where we actually translated simultaneously some of our shows into uh, ASL. Um, we eventually ran out of money, <laughs> but it was it was a noble effort. But at that point, during that time, I think I was I became much more aware of some of the issues that come up in Coda. All right, so let's go back to the phones here, and I'm just going to go. To uh, Dimfna, Dimfna. I hope I hope I'm saying saying that name correctly. But Dimfna, welcome to our conversation. Oh, thank you, Colin, um, and thank you for getting my name right. Um, yes, I, you, you first caller that called in about uh, grammar. I was I really I really enjoyed that because my kids, I can just see their eyes rolling when somebody says, "Oh, he's taller than me," mm-hmm. and they just go, "No, mom's going to say I." But anyway, uh, but the, you had mentioned uh, how we get our news on the Ukraine. Yeah. And I just wanted to mention that um, I find that Al Jazeera and NPR and BBC are the, my main sources. Um, I do read a lot of the, you know, the Journal and the Times, but um, those are the two that I find that are the most, give me the most well-rounded view, not just of the Ukraine, but the world in general, because NPR doesn't always mention things that are on Al Jazeera. Right. I, I really do feel as though, and I'm teaching about this right now, so it's 
top of mind for me, but I really do feel as though there is no multivitamin of news. You know, there's no one pill you can take and you'll just get everything you need. I'm not right. even sure really that multivitamins work that way, but um, that you ultimately, people have to accustom themselves to the idea. And, you know, I, yeah, I would say BBC, NPR, Al Jazeera, that's a pretty interesting mix. Throw in a little bit of legacy media, maybe a couple of newsletters, a podcast here and there. You're going to have, you know, a much richer and more interesting picture. I mean, I'm finding that even newsletters to which I do not subscribe, I'm happening across on news aggregators and stuff. There's a guy named Noah Noah Smith who gave a very um, complete account, I thought. He writes about economics, but a very complete account uh, of the sanctions, the big sanctions, what they do, what they don't do. Uh, I found that that was telling me things that the like even NPR's coverage weren't telling me. Uh, now, right. it's probably necessary to kind of vet that, sort that out, figure out who's got the best picture. But you need a lot of sources so you can begin that process. So, yeah, that's good for you, I say. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right. And I'm glad I did not make any grammatical errors while talking to you, um, presumably. All right. This could be a big moment here. We could be heading for a very big moment here. Uh, here's Joan in Westbrook. Hi, Joan. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Thanks for taking the call. You have the floor. Um, well, I I wish to also agree with the people who are disappointed in the decline of grammar. It drives me crazy. <laughs> but um, I also am very curious to know what's in the envelope. <laughs> okay, so we're going to open one of the Mr. Carp envelopes. I I get many of them, and they are stuffed with this. And I should say that Mr. Carp, Mr. Carp was doing very well for himself in life, like very well. For I think I might have pointed out in a previous show, his beach house is the one next to Taylor Swift's. So there. I guess she doesn't live there anymore. But you know, he's so he's done that well. He repurposed. I've never received a fresh envelope from Mr. Carp. He repurposes envelopes that are sent to him, and he tapes them all. <laughs> Shut and everything. So anyway, here we go. Here, this is a huge wad of clips here, and we'll just. Some of them seem to be from the New Yorker. Some of them seem to be from newspapers. I'll just unfold this one, Joan. Just bear with me now. And then he also underlines them, so I think I'll probably know what it is I'm supposed to care about here. Okay, so um, banning hate speech won't make Europe any safer. The new EU plan aims to. prevent the spread of hatred, but the continent's history shows that restricting extremist views often ends up amplifying them. I don't know if we can really discuss that effectively. I think I would need some preparation to have that conversation. Let's see if we can find something else here. Oh, boy. I'm feeling a lot of pressure right now, Joan. You put me in a pretty... Okay. This is, this one is uh, an article up called Good Times, Bad Times, The Making and Unmaking of Led Zeppelin. Um, how would you feel like... Would you like to talk oh. to me about Led Zeppelin? I'm not... I, I, for, for me, a Led Zeppelin is kind of ancient history. All right. Okay. We're going to keep going here. We're going to see what else is here. Okay. These are, this is a very dangerous experiment we're doing right now. Okay. Um, I don't know what this is. Well, I'll look at this. I'll open this up. See, I, I do this thinking that I would probably be able to talk a little bit about almost anything that he sent me, but he's, he's, been, he's a little esoteric this time, or a little eclectic, too. Uh, let's okay. see. This is, um, this is about women in the Crusades. Anyone schooled in the history of the Crusades will know of Stephen Runciman, arguably the 20th century's leading popular authority on the period. Interminable, relentlessly detailed, compulsively readable, his canonical three-volume A History of the Crusades set the standard, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, this is about how there were women who went in the Crusades. Did you know that? 
I did not know that. Uh, I think I think yep, that's what he's it says. definitely wandering into all kinds of esoteric territory. <laughs> yes, I mean you really have to be on your game here. Uh, but it's about a book that focuses on the women atop the Crusader states that ranged uh, along the Eastern Mediterranean for much of the 12th history. So it's more about monarchs. Who, uh, who affected the Crusades. All right, we'll try one more. We're not doing very well in terms of just launching a conversation. This one's seen... Oh, this is How to Be Perfect by Michael Schur. I already interviewed him. We can't do that. That would be cheating. Um, all right. You can, <laughs> you can hear me unfolding these things. Maybe we all want to know how to be perfect. <laughs> okay. Here's when he's underlined... Some stuff here. This would be like a thing that a, you know two human beings could talk about anyway. Al Green's "Let's Stay Together" at fifty, uh, and in the evolution of soul, there's before Al Green and after. Prior to the singer-songwriter's "Let's Stay Together" album released fifty years ago on January thirty-first, nineteen seventy-two, male romantic soul tended to be the domain of vocal harmony groups like the Temptations, the Intruders, uh, the Delphonics, etc. So that's pretty good, you know. I mean, I hadn't really thought about Al Green that way. You know, that he sort of... I hadn't realized he was changing over of the genre, but I also wouldn't say the Temptations were really, like, those those heartfelt ballad soul types. That's that's more for an individual. Yeah. Like and, Al Green. Right, like Al Green. And, of course, Al Green also was famous for his breath control. I mean, other vocalists... He was a vocalist that other vocalists were interested in, kind of the way Annie, Annie Lennox is, because uh, uh, he apparently just had this you know, phenomenal breath control and phrasing and stuff like that. So, so yeah, so I think we've had a successful conversation about Al Green. I've got this humongous pile of clips, <laughs> newspaper clips. Well, look well, like now I'm, my curiosity is satisfied that what's in the envelope could be anything. It could be anything. You have, to be, you have to assume it could be anything. It looks like I'm about to start selling hamsters here. I've got this huge pile of, uh, <laughs> of cut-up newspaper pieces and stuff. So, and I blame uh, you and Mr. Carp for this. All right. Well, thanks for calling, and, Joan. And, and, right. And just keep can, can recycle that paper. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, I guess I could take another call here before we go to another break. And, and I think I'm going to wind up agreeing with Kathy from Mystic. All right, Kathy, uh, you're on the air. Yeah. Hi, Colin. Um, yes, this is about Ukraine. And I think um, I'd like to say that I don't think President Biden has gotten enough credit for his leadership. I mean, he achieved almost the impossible, which is uniting NATO, leading NATO. Uh, they did the sanctions in tandem. Uh, he convinced the Germans to um, to uh, delay on the pipeline. So, you know, we can, people can quibble, well, sanctions, when and which ones to start. But I think he's done an exceptional job in leadership, and um, I'm very glad that he's president and not the other guy who tried to weaken NATO. And the other comment is someone was talking about assassination. Um, I think an assassination is more likely to come within Russia or because uh, the war is very unpopular there, and I don't know that it's very popular with his inner circle, and the oligarchs are getting restless, so he could be deposed too. So I think that is... Uh, well, that would be a positive, maybe a positive scenario, certainly better than us doing it. So I agree with you there. Yeah, we can't and be doing that. that. So, yeah, let me just recommend a couple of things to you. Um, actually, uh, in fact, let me put you back up here just in case. But I don't know, Kathy, whether you read this or not. Uh, I know that she has mi- like millions of subscribers now. Um, Heather Cox Richardson's uh, newsletter, which is called Letters from an, Amer- from an American, she really makes that argument about Biden very forcefully. I mean, I think mm-hmm. one of the realities of the Biden administration is, that they've done some things very well. They're really bad at telling their story. 
You know, I mean, I, 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 mm-hmm. I, I think in general they don't get as much credit as they conceivably could. There's some kind of communication problem, and it's also obviously a very complex and multifarious media environment where it's you can't just tell this, your story to the New York Times and three major news networks and hope that everybody gets it. But, but yeah, I mean, I would say that that's true. It's hard to know. Uh, how much credit Biden and Blinken should get for everything. Like, for example, Germany has done a whole bunch of things that I don't think anybody thought Germany was going to do, uh, ranging from the move on the pipeline to to actually selling weapons, uh, getting weapons into the hands uh, of Ukrainians, which is something that they had said in the past would, they would not do. It was against their national policy. Now, I'm not sure Biden and Blinken have the power to persuade Germany into this course of action. It could be that it happened inside Germany, but you're absolutely Absolutely right that everybody's kind of functioning in concert. Uh, you know, I mean Switzerland, <laughs> Switzerland yeah, something. Now, know. you know, it could be that the person who really organized all of this, all of the backlash, is Vladimir Putin. Uh, you know, but but uh-huh. but uh-huh. it is certainly yeah. not, it's certainly not going to be fair to suggest. That, that Biden was an ineffective president because it just, no. I mean, if we're going to assume that we don't want to be engaged in actual military action, either in the air or on the ground, uh, if we're going to sort of set that as the limit, um, he has is, he is participated in an international action that has mustered about as much response as you could possibly imagine. Now, whether it works or not is a very, very different question. And a lot of it depends. I mean, unfortunately, Putin is still in the driver's seat, right? I mean, he's, he can decide to relentlessly bomb Ukraine, in which case a lot of the stuff that has been done to at least try to make the Ukrainians safer may not work very well. Um he also, as Mike Pesca has pointed out, uh, has a very low uh, national debt. So if he could find some way to borrow money, I mean, obviously their, their entire system is broken. Uh, their, their financial system pretty broken. Ruble, rubles falling so low today it disrupted their stock markets. Um, but you know, it, it's. I mean, it, there's a lot of lot to feel optimistic about and encouraged by. But this is a war started by a guy who doesn't really seem to care too much how much damage he causes to Ukraine or really to his own country. And oh, I know the other thing I was going to point out because this was kind of interesting. So this American Life uh, this week started out with um, a kind of little contemporary piece, but then got into some other stuff about Putin, just in- including a somewhat older piece about how popular Putin is, how he always seems to have like 81 percent approval ratings in Russia. And even if you look at different opinion services, even some American opinion services, uh, sampling services that go in and study this stuff, uh, the independent ones that are not government controlled in Russia, I guess there's only one of them. But the, the, the numbers that come back are very similar, which I mean, it's the way that we perceive Putin is not necessarily the way that Russians perceive him. Um, now, this may change if they if they're in economic ruins at the end of three or four months. But um, the idea that he's going to be assassinated by his own people, uh, I think, might also be a little bit of wishful thinking. All right, so with all of that, we can stop. I feel bad that I didn't do better with the Mr. Carp envelope. I feel I feel that I failed. I think you heard me fail with the Mr. Carp envelope, but. That is, of course, one of the risks of opening one. All right, we'll be back. On the night bus going for the ride Three ladies are going to work 
heavy load and heavy eyes. A heavy life has no disguise. I'm someone who understands, though you believe I'm not. Run away. Why'd you always run away? All right, I am very excited to say that uh, the board today, the technical producing job, is being done by someone very, very many pay grades and high job classifications above that job. That would be Katie Tularski, who has got some kind of title that includes some storytelling is in there somewhere, right? Something like that. But anyway, she's like our boss, but she's in here today because Cat Pastor is off for a few days. So that's exciting. Jonathan McPants uh, came uh, up from uh, the southern part of the state to screen calls today, had automotive distress, uh, which I will go out and examine after the show. Uh, and so thanks to everybody, <laughs> probably more than you really wanted to know about uh, who was working on the show today. I just want to say something before I go back to the calls. The number, by the way, is 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You are allowed to call up about anything. Um, but so I panicked a little bit with the Mr. Carp thing. And like I like I turned over one of the clips that I didn't have much to say about. And... There's um, an article that's in, that he's also underlined, which means it's important. Um, there's one – first of all, there's one about Euclid. We're all still living in Euclid's world, it says. Now, I really couldn't like jump into a conversation about Euclid, but if this piece of writing by Frank Wilczek um, holds up, I could see us doing a show about Euclid. I mean that's the kind of thing that we would do a show maybe about, like a whole show about Euclid. I'm not sure anyone would listen to that show. But we try not to worry about that. And then there's an article. This is COVID is a long article called uh, saying COVID is less deadly where there is trust. This is actually something that I do have some strong feelings about. And I just want to point out that at this point, if you were to plan your vacation and get on a plane and go essentially anywhere in Europe or a lot of places in South America, you would be going some, to some place that has way higher vaccination rates than we do. You know, I mean, we're still stuck at 64, two-punch full vaccination, 28% boosted. I mean, there are plenty of countries now that are, you know, in the 80s on that first number and the 50s in that second number. And I think it's because we don't have any trust. I mean, we don't have enough trust. There is This is a society that is boiling with distrust, uh, distrust and mistrust of one another. And it's a tragedy because really this— this whole situation could be could have been brought under control way faster if everybody trusted everybody else, uh, or if everybody trusted people in whom trust ought to be invested. Let's put it that way. All right, let's go to the phones here. We've got Jeff and Adrienne. We'll start with Adrienne in West Hartford. Hi. Hi, uh, Colin. Uh, Colin. So uh, I said I wanted to talk about grammar because it's comforting with the rest of the world, but I do want to say something about other things. It occurred, I, I don't consider myself a prejudiced person, but it dawned on me recently that I've gotten way more exercise over this uh, Russia and Ukraine thing, this Eurocentric thing, than any of the wars in Africa have really grabbed my attention. And I think, you know, I, I want to change that. I, I think there's something a bit wrong with my perspective on that, and I, I suspect 
maybe some other people can relate to that too. Yes, actually, not that this is like a, a reputable news source, but Michael Che made essentially that point on Weekend Update of Saturday Night Live on Saturday night. Anyway, continue. Well, to get back to the comfort zone of, of, of grammar, I think grammar, I mean, language is always in flux, and I cannot bring myself to use something that is correct but no longer sounds correct. Like the caller said, taller than I, I would have to say taller than I am. Mm-hmm. I could never leave it dangling at taller than I. And I, I regularly now will end a sentence with a preposition. It's just the only way that it makes sense, or the best way to make it, you know. If, if changing it around next, just to Henry James, you know, to, to garble, you know. And that, that's, I've stopped my bell. I've said my piece. Right. So, um, well, now I know where, you're, you're, where your head is at. You see what I did there? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> got it. I, I got it. Yeah. All right. But anyway, it works, I, doesn't it? right? There's a there's where your head is at. Yes. I mean, I don't think you know. I don't think there's any misunderstanding about what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, but I, I like the word that you use, comforting uh, about grammar. I think for some of us, the idea that there is some kind of intact structure, some understanding of something, things, some, certain things are correct, certain things are incorrect. Um, yeah, I understand that's not really the way that it works. Every time we bring Peter Sokolowski in uh, to, to from Merriam-Webster to discuss all of this, I mean, he's very descriptive as opposed to prescriptive. He basically thinks the job of lexicography and probably everybody else is to keep track of what's happening to the language, not announce what should be happening that isn't happening and what ha- is happening that shouldn't be happening. He doesn't see that as the principal job anymore. And, and I don't know. It makes me a little sad and probably makes you a little bit sad as well. But, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It, it, is, it is what it is, uh, which is not a sentence that ends with a preposition. Uh, but, <laughs> like, I don't know. I had, this, I had this teacher named Lou Friedman when I was in seventh grade. And Lou Friedman's whole idea was that he was not letting you out of the seventh grade unless you fully understood grammar. And, and he... He did this through kind of a combination of comedy and terror. But you could wake me up in the middle of the night and ask me the state of being verbs to this day. And it's been a long time since I was in the seventh grade. And I would say be as am or was were been appear become feel look seem sound smell taste grow remain stay. And and I mean there is some value in all of that. Although I have to also say I guess I better not talk about this because it'll it'll cause trouble. But. <laughs> <laughs> but now I want to talk about it. Um, we did have this rather spirited conversation on Friday, which this may – I'm just telling you this because this may amuse you. And I think I shouldn't name names. I don't know what Katie Delarsky and Jonathan McPants think. But so our producers have to do many things. Being a producer of a public radio show like this one or Where We Live or, you know, you name it. But, I mean, it's hard. It's a hard job and there's so many things for any individual episode that you have to get locked down and have totally accurate, you know, and you have to pre-interview, you have to find great guests and pre-interview. There's so much work and, and they really have to be good at all of it because it just, it doesn't work otherwise. And so one of the greatest producers I, we've encountered here in public radio has the, whose name will not be said here in the situation, does have a certain problem rendering phonetic versions of names, for example. Um, and so that for some reason or other, it just isn't something that they uh, have. See, I'm not I'm not gendering it. So you can't even narrow it down at all. They just they have a kind of a mental block about this. <laughs> and they will often give me in the notes for a show 
a phonetic rendering of a name, which I it, it is not. I don't know how to say it, but it's. I hate to use a judgmental term like wrong, <laughs> but it is. All right, never mind. We have to keep going here. Um, here's uh, Jeff in Bristol. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Um, so I want to talk about the policy battles between the progressives and the moderates in the Democratic Party. Um, I consider myself a moderate, and even though I agree with the progressives on many issues, I was very frustrated by their appearing uh, lack of willingness to compromise uh, with Joe Manchin on the child tax credit on the Build Back Better bill, which I was extremely, extremely frustrated that it didn't get passed. And um, a lot of people probably aren't aware of this, but in the version of the American Rescue Plan that passed early last year, uh, the Democrats expanded the income limits of the child tax credit so that a married couple could get something if they made up to $400,000. Now, Joe Manchin wanted, obviously, much, much lower limits, which I thought made sense. I mean, I think it's insane to give people free money when they're making up to $400,000. And when Elizabeth Warren was asked about that, and, you know, and Bernie Sanders saying, hey, should there, be, should there be income limits on the child tax credit? They said no. And I thought, you know, what is wrong with these people? I used to love Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, but I'm starting to lose respect for that wing of the Democratic Party because they're just, they're just too stubborn and they're not willing to compromise on something that I think if you ask the average American, should someone making $400,000 get free money? They're going to say, what are you, crazy? And I just want to hear your thoughts on what, what do you think is, is going on in the heads of the progressives in the Democratic Party, that they are willing to just tank major, major legislation that would help the climate over, like, helping rich people. Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos got the child tax credit a couple of years ago because of how the bill was written, which is crazy. I mean, to be fair, that's not the only way and not the only reason that Manchin opposed it. I, I, I'd have to go back and do a little bit more reading about the child tax credit to get to the $400,000 thing. I mean, I'll take your word for it for now. But Manchin's opposition to it, both publicly and especially, I think, privately, was m- much more pointed than that. And and I'm not sure that the solution to everything is to figure out how to placate Joe Manchin even more. I mean, he's already just way too powerful. Now, I do think that, once again, the B- Biden administration not good at telling their own story. Uh, and not good at rolling out major pieces of legislation. And they could have gotten a lot more public sentiment behind this if they'd done it a different way. But we're running out of time here, and I don't want to go into it too much. And we've only got two minutes left. So Joan from Morris, you're going to be the last caller. Make it good. you got about 60 seconds. Yeah, uh, several people have uh, complained about the absolute desiccation of our grammar and our ability to communicate properly. In any case, the point I want to make about this, because I share their frustration and anxiety, is that when people, including those on NPR, which is shocking to me, have the gift of a microphone so they can speak and educate and inform and report, and they're speaking to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people over time, how can they not meet their responsibility to speak well. It's a a lack of dignity and respect for the language. And I think this culture has so diminished itself in so many ways, uh, even before Trump. But uh, (laughs) your first person complained about someone who said, had wrote. 
Well, I want you to know the person was on NPR at 9.09 last Monday, and when I heard it, I wrote it down on my list of, of people. Who All right. I well, think- we have to go now. I, I will... I will have a very stern conversation with Mr. Inskeep about this. He can't keep doing this. No, so, Stephen Inskeep, uh, Steve Inskeep I am going to be on the phone to you today, uh, and I'm not going to be gentle about it. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. And, <laughs> and we'll be back with great shows this week. The number you have reached has been disconnected.